And uh, man, I hated, I hated that. I missed uh, last Sunday being here on Easter. And uh, I was telling Leslie, this is the first, my first Easter Sunday in my life, 37 years that I hadn't been in church on Easter Sunday. I was born three days before Easter. And uh, my mom had me in church as a, as a three-day-old baby. Of course, that was a different time back then, I guess. But, um, but yeah, never missed, never missed an Easter service. I hated that, that I wasn't here. But uh, So the reason I wasn't here is I had COVID last week, and both of my boys had it. And so we were sick. And, and then uh, the day that uh, you know, we were all feeling better and when our quarantine period was over, is uh, when we got the call that um, our baby, <laughs> I, I didn't think I would do this. That our baby boy was here. And uh, many of you know about that, about us adopting a baby boy. And um, we're just really excited about that. He's so precious and can't wait for you to meet him. And uh, still pray for us. There's still some legal things to to work out in the coming weeks. And so just pray that um, for for that whole situation. All right. So Galatians uh, chapter 5, I want to talk to you today about discipleship um, and really just one trait of being a disciple. And I know that uh, we talk a lot about discipleship. Uh, here at the church, and Pastor just talked about uh, discipleship, and maybe still is on, on Wednesday nights, doing a series uh, during the midweek study. So I just want to talk about just uh, a part of what it would mean to be a disciple, and that is to be a spirit-led follower of God. Now the question is, uh, how do we do that? You know, what does it mean to to be led by the Spirit? You know, in the Christian life. Uh, we have different uh, different sayings and uh, you know kind of Christian sayings that we've just adopted, and we don't really know what they mean and can't uh, explain them to anyone. Uh, but uh, we just you know take them as truth, and this is kind of what we say. And I think this might be one of those things uh, that we throw around a lot. You know, what does it really mean to be led by the Spirit? What does that look like? And so I want to give you some context before we get into the meat of the message and just say this, that, uh, you know, we all know what war is like, right? We don't have to look uh, too far uh, today to, to find it because of the war between Ukraine and Russia. But what we learn about war is that there are certain things that have to happen um, to prepare yourself for battle, right? You have to have the right kind of ammunition. You have to have the right uh, kind of weapon, you need to have been trained. That would, have, that would be a good thing, uh, to be trained before you go into war. Uh, you have to have the right mindset to go into battle. But I think most importantly, uh, you have to realize that you're in a battle, right? You have to realize that first. And when you go into battle without ever realizing that you're in a battle, you know, you're, you're already defeated. And I just want to say this up front, that... We as Christians are are in a battle. We're in a spiritual battle. And it's very similar. The difference is, you know, we're fighting a different enemy. Uh, we know this, that we have an enemy, uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? And I was talking to, to Pastor by text earlier, uh, just a few days ago, about the baby. And I was sending him pictures, and he said that he was already praying uh, for, for the baby, 
And I told him I appreciated that because he already has an enemy. You know, you think about that. The devil hates that baby. Um, not to say anything about us, not that, not that we're the example, but Satan does know this, that that baby is in a home now uh, where his parents are going to be very intentional about his discipleship and about raising him uh, for the Lord. And so Satan hates him and, and he has an enemy and we all do. And so what I want to talk about just in our time together this morning is, is this internal enemy, okay, the flesh that we still battle as Christians. And you have to understand, the moment you became a believer, something happened to you, right? And it's this great transaction that we move from death to life. I'm so thankful for that. Um, but something else happened. And, you know, God does not hold the penalty of our sin against us. I'm thankful for that. The penalty of our sin is removed. But the power of sin is, is still there, right? And you know this as a believer, that the power of sin in our life is still very present and something that we deal with. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're not tempted, and it doesn't mean that there aren't going to be consequences uh, for your sin. So what I want for us to think about this morning is this. What does it look like for us to be spirit-led followers of Christ, okay? In order to experience this abundant life, this joyful life, uh, this fulfilling life, and I think all of us would would want to learn how to do that. So Galatians chapter 5, and uh, what he's going to talk about here is, again, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? And he's going to talk about how we can do this during this battle that goes on between our, our spirit and our flesh. And so we'll begin reading in verse 16, all right, Galatians 5, and the Bible says this, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary. Notice that word. This is where we get the idea that this is a battle that's that's going on. They're contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if ye be led of the spirit, you're not under the law. So I want to give you two contrasts here. Uh, One is walking by the flesh, and the other one is, again, what does it mean to walk? By the Spirit. So, number one is this walking by the flesh imprisons you. All right? Walking by the flesh imprisons you. Now, to think about the word walk, okay, the word walk, before we really get into this text, it doesn't mean just walking physically, okay? Although it it, it does include that. Uh, When Jesus called people, he said, Come follow me. Or, in other words, I want you to come and walk after me. Uh, when God called Abraham, he said to go on a long walk. And Moses, you're going to be walking. And so the whole Christian life, I understand it is a walk, but it's really, it's really bigger than that. And there's really more to it than that. Because walking here is really the, the manner in which you live. Okay, so when you think about your walk with God, this encompasses every part of our life. Okay, it's, it encompasses our thoughts, uh, the way we speak, the way we act. It's the way we live. And so all of us are born into the world by natural birth. And uh, we have this nature of the flesh. Okay, so this is against God. This is our flesh. But when we become believers, we're given a spiritual birth. And something amazing happens when we repent of our sin and trust Christ as our Savior. The Holy Spirit comes to live within us. Now you can see the problem, right? Thankful for the Holy Spirit, but I still have this old sin nature, this flesh. 
And what happens is these two are going to constantly battle each other. Right? My flesh, I'm still selfish. I have a selfish nature. I want what I want. But the spirit that's living inside of me now is drawing me to something that's better, something that's going to help me. And so uh, if we've ever been convicted over our sin, we call that the flesh and the spirit. Now, the word flesh here, it doesn't mean like our actual flesh, right? Like the skin suit that we're in. Uh, That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about our human nature. He's talking about our predisposition to sin, right? You don't have to teach someone to sin, all right? Like we just had a baby, and I'm sure before too long, uh, you know, he's going to, uh, you know, throw a temper tantrum. And I mean, if you've ever worked in the nursery, you have two kids who are fighting over a toy. Uh, you don't have to teach a child how to fight, right? What do you have to teach them to do? You have to teach them to get along. You have to teach them to obey. And so we have this predisposition to, to sin. We don't have to be taught that. And just because you're a Christian, you're not immune to sin, Okay, so we have this propensity to sin. So Paul's going to give us this list here in Galatians 5 to determine some of the sins that we have in our life. And this is not an exhaustive list, but he's just kind of giving us this running start uh, for us to, to look at our flesh. So let's look at what he says here, verse 19, Galatians 5. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. Okay, so in a sense we could say this is the fruit of our flesh. Uh, he says, which are these? Adultery. Fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, uh, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. So he gives this list and he kind of tags this on at the end and such like. In other words, you know, anything that would resemble this, okay, anything that's close to this, he says, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this is interesting. Don't read, okay, we see that last uh, phrase there, inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, don't think tomorrow in the by and by, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Don't, don't think in that. It, it, it includes that, okay? It definitely includes that. But what Paul is talking about is how you live in the kingdom today, okay? And we talked about this the last time I, I had the opportunity to speak, how really God wants us to bring his kingdom to earth, right? Right? We are to live in his kingdom here on earth. And so, so think, think, think of it that way. Um, what he's going to show us is that this list is, is going to show us a few things, okay? So he's, he's talking about sin. He's not talking about just sinning in general, right? Because all of us look at this list and we immediately say, we're in trouble, right? I mean, we've, we've definitely messed up. We're a mess. And, uh, you know, we've checked all these boxes. So he's not talking about sinning in general. Uh, here he's talking about, look at the phrase in verse 21, that do such things, okay? So in other words, he's talking about the pattern of your life. Okay, so if, if you look at this list of sins and he's saying, is, is this... Does this uh, exemplify your life? Is this the pattern that you see evident in your life? And uh, so he's not saying here that you're, you're not going to momentarily fall into sin. Uh, he's not saying, you know, you're not going to mess up. We, we know that. Okay, we know that we're going to mess up. But he's saying if this is the pattern of your life, two things could be happening here. One of two things. Because this is what I believe, that a Christian cannot keep 
on sinning as the pattern of their life. You say, how do you know that? Well, look at verse, uh, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 6. The Bible says this, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Now, again, it, it doesn't mean that we're going to be sinless, okay? But it's talking here, if you look in the context, and it's talking about the pattern of your life, okay? So if you abide in him, if you say you abide in Christ, then sin is not going to be the pattern of your life. You're going to sin less and less, right? And so uh, he says, whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. And then notice this, whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Now, that's pretty interesting. Here's the question you have to ask yourself when you read a verse like this. Does sin dominate you? Okay, does sin dominate you? Does, does sin have a mastery over you? And again, I'm not talking about just falling into sin and just kind of everyday life, you know, things. But does sin have a mastery? Is it the pattern of your life? Is it the sum total of your life? So we could look at this list and say, does immorality, does idolatry, does, does, does pride or ambition, or whatever, does that control you? Now, what this list does is twofold. So what do we do with this list? Number one is, if you're a born-again Christian, you look at this list and you realize very quick that these are things that would quench the Spirit working in my life. Right? So if I'm a believer, if I've trusted Christ as my Savior, I read a list like this and I think these are things that would quench God's Spirit working in me. So in other words, you can't expect to be Spirit-filled and have a problem with anger. Right? It just doesn't work that way. You can't be Spirit-filled and always just in a fit of rage. That's not how it works. But what it also does is this. This list is a diagnostic test to determine if you are truly born again, right? If you are a believer. Uh, because Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7, you will know a tree by what? By the fruit that it bears, right? And so basically, here's how it works. If, if a person we know or yourself is living in sin, here's the question. If a person is living in sin, either one of two things are happening. They're, they're either going to be a miserable, miserable person. And, and that's a miserable existence to live because you're under the constant conviction of the Holy Spirit. But if they're living in sin and there's no conviction, then I would question whether they're really a Christian. Right? If, you can, if you can sin, and if sin has a, a hold on you, and, and, and if sin is, just has a power over you, and, and, and you just keep sinning, and there's, there's no conviction, there's no shame, then I would really wonder if you, if you knew the Lord. And so, um, <clears throat> I believe this, that the hallmark of a believer is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I, I believe that's one of the ways that we know that we are Christian, right? If we experience the Holy Spirit convicting us of sin. And one of the tests to determine if you're a true, true believer or not is this. How do you feel when you sin? How does sin make you feel? Uh, do you enjoy it or do you abhor it? Um, you know, it's just a good, good question to ask. How do you feel? And I believe this, that conviction is, is really a gift from God. I mean, think of the kindness of God, uh, that God would be so kind to us. And every time I do wrong, that God brings conviction. And what he's really saying is, hey, this is really bad for you. 
And you don't need to do this because you're going to mess up your life. So stop. Right? That's what conviction is. And I'm thankful for that. It's a gift. And that's what God is, is saying. And, and when we, you know, when we're convicted of sin, we have a choice. Okay? Do we, do we just do it anyway? Or do we listen to the Holy Spirit and obey and, and repent? Uh, so this is encouraging to know that our past failures are not held against us. Um, our past failures in the flesh do not define us, right? At the moment of conversion, those things were put to death and we are made alive. I'm so thankful for that. Romans 6 tells us this in verses 6 and 7 and verse 11, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. I love that phrase. And he's telling us as believers, you don't have to serve sin. There's a better way. Sin does not have to have control over you. You have the Holy Spirit, right? So he says in verse 7, For he that is dead is freed from sin. Verse 11, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I'm so thankful that when we come to Christ, we have a clean slate. I mean, wow, what, a, what an awesome truth that is. That when I come to God and I repent of my sin, and, 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 and even as a believer, when I confess my sin and ask God's forgiveness, he gives me this forgiveness. I have a clean slate. I'm thankful that God doesn't hold our past against us. The Bible says that we are new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's what God does. But just because we are a new creation doesn't mean that we're going to walk in the Spirit. Okay, so that's not a given. Just because your sins have been forgiven and you're saved and you have a home in heaven, that doesn't just give you a guarantee pass that, hey, I'm walking in the Spirit. Right? That's not how that works. And so what Paul's going to give us here is this runway of how to live in the Spirit. All right, so number two, this is what he talks about. Uh, Walking by the Spirit gives freedom. Okay? Uh, Walking by the flesh, it imprisons you. But walking by the Spirit actually gives freedom. But this is kind of interesting. It's not the freedom that you might think. Uh, Look at verse uh, 22 here in our passage, Galatians 5. The Bible says this, but the fruit of the Spirit. Now, think about this, the word fruit. Okay, and I don't expect you to know this, but is, is that word singular or plural? If you actually look at the, the, the Greek word here, the ending of that word, it, it, this is a singular word, the word fruit. Okay, so what does that mean? You don't have fruits of the Spirit, okay? And I know sometimes, you know, and it's just, sometimes I understand it's just semantics, and we say in Sunday school, here's the fruits of the Spirit, and we put them on our wall. But really, just to be really technical about it, there's the fruit, okay, the fruit of the Spirit, And uh, one fruit can express itself in varying degrees and at varying levels in your life. Okay? So that's how it works. And the way it's expressed, the Bible tells us, is through this. It's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Now, let me just say this before we get into this part. The only way you and I can walk by the spirit is after we have been born again. Okay? So you have to be born again. You have to 
Repent of your sin and trust Christ as your Savior. Uh, Because that's the moment that God sends the Holy Spirit to take up residence in your heart. It doesn't matter how good your parents were. It doesn't matter where you went to school. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter how, how good you've been in the past. You need to ask this question, am I born again? Right? Does the Holy Spirit of God live in me? Uh, do I have evidence of the Holy Spirit living in me? And if you can't answer that question, then everything I have to say from here on out is not going to help you. Okay, it will not help you. You must be born again. And so we're in this constant battle with our flesh, and the only way we're going to win is by the Spirit. Now, this is an interesting verse here in our passage in verse 18 okay, of Galatians 5. The Bible says this, But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now, I read a verse like that, and, and I've, I've talked to people like this. You know, some people take that verse to the, to the extreme. And uh, they say, hey, listen, we're not under the law. I can do whatever I want. Christ has set us free. I can live the way I want. I can do what I want. I have the freedom to do that. And when I read this passage, I really don't think that's what this passage is saying. Okay? Um, here's what we have to understand. Just because we are free in the Spirit or filled with the Spirit, it doesn't mean that you and I can live any way that we please. Um, In fact, God has set up this system, okay, or the standard, and He says if you follow and if you obey this standard, life is going to go really, really well for you. This is so cool. I love how God does this. He says, I have a standard. I have some commands that I have set for you. And if you follow these commands, your life is going to go really well. And you're, and you're going to be blessed and helped. And you're going to be joyful. You're going to have uh, peace and satisfaction. However, okay, you can, okay, in a sense, you have the freedom to disobey the command. Right? You have that freedom. You, you, you can disobey. That is your choice. Uh, you can do that, but you're going to experience death. You're going to experience rejection. You're going to experience separation and despair. So really, it's up to you. I like to illustrate it this way. We have a, we have a dog at home. Okay? His name's Chip for short. His real name is Chipper. Okay? If any of you Braves fans are out there, my wife is a huge Braves fan. and She loves Chipper Jones. So we named our dog Chipper. We call him Chip. And uh, he's a black lab. We've had him for almost 11 years. He's a great dog. We love our dog. And uh, we have a fenced-in backyard, and so we don't have to really worry about him. Okay, so we can just open our door, let him out, and he can be out there and be in the backyard, and he's closed in. Uh, one thing about Chip, one thing that's not good about Chip, our dog, is that he is a runner. Okay, now I know some of you have pets, and some of you have trained your pets to do this, and that's great. Some of you can be out in the front yard with your pet, and they'll stay with you in the yard, and they'll stay by your side. That's not Chip, okay? If he sees an exit, he's gone, and uh, he does not listen if he's out of the fence, okay, or down the street. He will not listen to you, and so many times, okay, if when Chip gets out, well, let's get in the car, and let's drive around the neighborhood and find him, and usually he's like two streets down in someone else's yard, and we have to just coerce him into the car, and it's a, it's a, it's a big deal. Um, so <clears throat> here's the thing. If I were to open the gate, okay, if I were to talk to our dog, and if he could talk to me, that would be kind of strange, but 
uh, he would probably say to me, I want freedom. I want you to open the gate and I, I just, I want to go free. I want, I want freedom. Right. And so <clears throat> I could do that. And that would seem like real freedom. And him being in the backyard, okay, with the fence would seem like imprisonment, but it's actually the opposite. Okay. Because, because of this, if I let him go, if I just let him run wild, he subjects himself to a lot of things that would harm him. Right? If, if I open the gate and he just runs out, he, he, he is now in danger of, of a moving vehicle. He has no shelter. He, he, he can't feed himself. All right? Uh, and, and all of these things. Okay? So he subjects himself to, to, to a lot of these things. Uh, but if he's in the fence, if he's in the boundary of the fence... He has some things to his benefit. He's going to be cared for. He's going to be fed. He's going to, he's going to be loved, right? He, he's going to uh, have affection and he's going to be protected. He's not going to run wild because outside the fence, he's susceptible to coyotes, cars. Now he has to find his own food. Again, it seems like freedom exists on the outside, of the boundaries of the fence, but actually freedom is on the inside. Freedom is inside the fence. And, uh, you know, why? Again, because when he is outside the fence, he is imprisoned to dog catchers. Uh, he's imprisoned to moving cars, lack of food, no shelter. So, so to think of it this way, the fence does not prevent his freedom. It actually preserves and prospers his life. Now, think about this. That is the way God's commands are, right? We can look at God's commands the same way. Uh, God is saying to us, when you obey the commands by the Spirit, willingly and joyfully, life goes so much better for you. And I promise it will. And some of you uh, would give uh, testimony to that. And uh, you can determine how you look at this. Okay, do you look at the commands of God as restrictions to your happiness or do you look at the commands of God as expressions of his love? See, big difference. Uh, that's the question. Is, 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 is it God just keeping me from having fun? Or is God loving me and leading me in this relationship with him? And do I have intimacy by obedience? Let me give you another example. Uh, God's word says, do not steal. Right? Do not steal. And someone may come along and say, well, I don't like that command because I have the freedom to steal, right? I have the opportunity. I, I, can, I can go out and I can steal whatever I want. I don't like that command. It's preventing me from stealing. And I'm a Christian. I can do what I want. And in a sense, okay, I would say you are right. You have that freedom, right? You have that liberty to do that. The intended command, though, is not for prevention, but it's actually for protection, right? God gave us this command for our protection, because the moment you go out and you steal something, at that moment, you're imprisoned by story, right? Because the moment you steal something, now you have a story. You can't, you can't tell your, your parents what you did. You can't tell your friends what you did. You can't tell the authorities what you did, right? We, we are in prison to this. And, and if someone finds out, we're really running the risk that, okay, we could go to jail or we could be in a lot of debt. Um, we can be in prison. We can be punished. So God says, don't steal. Why? Why does he tell us that? 
he's trying to help us because he's saying you're going to be tormented by your conscience. As a believer, you're going to experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life. So he says, don't steal. Now, here's the question. If you were to steal and have the freedom to steal, would it actually be freedom? No, right? Or you, you would be a prisoner to your own decisions and consequences. See the difference. So what does God say? Don't steal. So here's the question again. Do you view the commands of God as restrictions of happiness? Or are these expressions of his love? They're expressions of his love, right? So what does it mean then to have freedom? Because the Bible does say that we are free in Christ and we have liberty and Christ has set us free. So, so what does that mean? I love what Adrian Rogers said, and I have this quote on the screen for you. He said, some people say, well, if I believe in this doctrine, then I'd get saved and I'd sin all I want to. And he said, friend, I do sin all I want to. As a matter of fact, I actually sin more than I want to. The thing is, I don't want to. He says, when you get saved, you get your wanter fixed. I like that. He says, as a matter of fact, you get a brand new wanter. And uh, what's he saying here? He says, when you get saved, you don't want to sin anymore. Right? When, when I experience the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life, and he brings conviction into my life, I, it's not that man, I have to be obedient or I have to do this. No, it's I want to do this. And, and here's the battle because my flesh wants to do what my flesh wants to do too, right? And so we're in this battle. And uh, it, it can be difficult sometimes. So that's why we're talking here about walking in the Spirit and what that means. So I don't want to be engaged in the filth anymore. I don't want to mess up. I don't want to sin because God has changed my heart. Now let me ask you this. Is there anything we can do to create an environment for the Holy Spirit to work in our life, right? Is there anything that we can do to create this prospering of the Holy Spirit? And the answer is yes. Now, God is the one who sends the Spirit, right? God is the one who, who directs our life. God's the one who produces our fruit. But as a believer, we can actually do something in working with the Holy Spirit to create an environment for God to work. And it's found in Ephesians 5, and Colossians 3. Now, they'll be on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there because this is so cool. All right, this is such a good insight. Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. You're going to want to see this, and we'll go back and forth uh, between the, the two here. So Paul is, is going to write two different letters to two different churches, Okay. And he's going to interchange one line, but he, he's going to use all the same material here to, to prove a point. All right, so Ephesians chapter 5, that's where we'll start. And we'll go back and forth here. But Ephesians 5 and verse 18, okay, and you guys know these verses. The Bible says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Verse 18. Verse 19, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now I'll turn to Colossians chapter 3. All right, Colossians 3.16. A, a different beginning, but the, the same ending that we're going to see here. All right, Colossians 3 and verses 16 and 17. 
The Bible says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, and whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Now, when you, when you have two passages like this, okay, and you're doing Bible study and, and Bible interpretation, you're going to notice some things that are, are similar in, in these two passages, okay? They're connected, or, or we would even call them uh, parallel passages, right? So let me show them to you on the screen just so you can see it better uh, side by side. The first one is this, Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16, okay? All right, there they are. Now look at these again. Ephesians 5.19 says this, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And then Colossians 3.16, Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now it's pretty similar, right? I mean, it's almost verbatim that that he writes there. Now, next verse, Ephesians 5.20 and then Colossians 3.17. All right, Ephesians 5.20 says this, Give thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, Colossians 3.17. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Now, up, up to this point, everything's pretty much the same, right? I mean, these are synonymous passages. But when you go back to the first line, they're different. Okay, they're, they're different, but they're synonymous. And, and you're going to love this. Just watch this. This is so cool. All right, so Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, and Colossians 3, 16. All right, so he says here, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. Okay, just forget that part of it. I mean, it, that's good. You don't need to forget it. But just for this conversation, forget that part. He says here, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, be filled with the Spirit. All right, and then Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. So we look at that and we ask the question here, what is he saying? He's saying that we are filled with the Spirit of God as we let the word of God dwell richly in our heart. Right, so this is a very, this is a very simple uh, conclusion. How are we to be Spirit-filled? How am I to be a Spirit-filled follower of God. And here's the answer. You let the word of God dwell richly in your heart. It's it's pretty simple when you look at it that way. This is why I love the Bible. I love this book. Uh, You know, this book is not just a guide to life. It's, It's not just a map to live by. This book is a mirror to look at. And when I read this book, I start to see two things. One, I see the awesomeness of God. I see just how awesome Jesus is. And I love to read about the life of Jesus and God and all that he's done for us. And so we see that in Scripture. But I also see this. I also see how often and how much I fall short of the glory of God. And here's the awesome thing is that Jesus was perfect to fulfill it, right? He, he, he was the perfect one to fulfill it. So listen, if you are not in this book daily, daily, and pastor says that all the time, I tell our teenagers all the time to be in the Bible every day, just get into the habit of it. But if you're not in this book daily, you are already deceived by the enemy and you are already losing the battle, right? We are in this battle 
And the only way, the only way we can win this battle between our flesh and the Spirit is to give way to the Spirit. How are we filled with the Spirit? By letting the Word of Christ dwell in us. So have a daily, meaningful, unhurried time with the Lord. You know, if someone is here dealing with consistent, persistent sin right now, I can almost come to the conclusion that you're probably not in the Bible, right? That you're probably not in the Word within. Uh, D.L. Moody used to say this. I love this quote too. The Bible will keep you from sin, but sin will keep you from the Bible. And that is true. Paul finishes with this amazing line. He says, I want you to walk in the Spirit. And again, you may say, what does that, I'm still not getting it. What does that mean exactly? What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? And really, this is a word picture that he's giving for a guide. Now, let's say we were going on a trip to Israel, okay? Has has anyone been to Israel in this room? I know Pastor has. Eric, you have? You have? Okay, I'd love to. I've never been. And I'd I'd love, I would love to take a trip to Israel. And uh, I I was just thinking about this kind of illustration uh, earlier this week, that if we were going to take a trip to Israel, uh, we would basically have two options, right? Perhaps, okay? They, uh, They could say, you can rent a car. And, and you can just have freedom. You can just go and do what you want and travel around and, you know, whatever. Or you can hire a tour guide. A tour guide will show you, like, where all the locations are and what happened at this location. And Now, which do you think would be better? The tour guide, right? Now, we would say, we would say well, yeah, but we would have more freedom uh, with the latter, right? Man, I can just rent a car and I can go. But the tour guide, okay, he knows the terrain. He knows the locations. He, he plans your schedule. The tour guide can get you from point A to point B. And he knows that if you follow him, you're not going to get lost. And you're going to be able to experience more and learn more on your trip, right? And if you follow the guide, you're not going to get lost. Now, every believer, every believer at the moment of salvation, you're given a tour guide for life. And his name is the Holy Spirit. Right, you have a tour guide, the Holy Spirit of God, and He knows what's best for you. Why does the Holy Spirit know what's best for you? Because He actually made you. Right? He made you. God God knows what's best for you. He knows your future better than you know your own past. He knows what direction you need to go. Why? Because He's he, He's been there. He knows exactly what comes ahead. And I promise you, His way is better. He's a way better leader than you are. And if you follow him, you will never get lost. He'll never let you down. Now, how many times have we done something in our lives without consulting the Holy Spirit? Many times, right? Many times. And it never really works out, does it? Uh, So I need to learn this. I need to be reminded of this that I need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading, be in his word and listen and follow him. And so I want to ask us, just as we close, uh, I have two questions for you. And these are just diagnostic questions, okay, that you're going to ask yourself. And you're going to ask yourself these to, to, to determine if you really are a spirit-led follower of Christ, okay? And so the first question is this, what scripture is currently shaping me? All right, so just think about that. What scripture is currently shaping your life? And um, 
if you don't have an answer, I would I would say start there, right? If you if you uh, if you don't commit to daily read the word, then you're pretty much at a loss already. So what is shaping you? And then the, here's the second question: What has my attention, thoughts, and energy? All right, what has my attention? Now you think about it every day, daily. What has my thoughts? What 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 am I putting my energy into? And that's just a really great deep question that will tell us, you know, if we're consumed by the flesh or by the spirit. Now we're going to pray um, in just a moment. Um, And I always like to try to do this when I have the opportunity to speak is to talk about your next step. And pastors already mentioned that about baptism. But this this helps me in my Christian life to always think about what's next. Right. What's the next step? And we all have a next step. Um, So. Just kind of by way of invitation, okay, just thinking about this. Uh, maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Okay, you say, Daniel, I, you were reading about uh, the flesh, and that's me. I identify with that. And, and I, don't, I don't think I am a believer. I've never trusted Christ as my Savior. Well, your next step would be to trust Christ, right? We want you to know the Lord. And uh, after the service, once I pray and we're dismissed, uh, pastor will be up front. I'll be up here. Uh, maybe someone that brought you, they can talk to you, someone that you trust. If you've never been born again, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, um, please, I plead with you, do that. Do that before it's too late. So maybe that's your next step. Maybe, maybe uh, you've been saved, but you've never followed the Lord in believer's baptism. You've never been obedient in baptism. So that would be your next step. Maybe, maybe you've been here for a while just as an attender. Okay. You've been attending this church, but you've never really joined the church. And, uh, we would love for you to join our church and go on mission with us and help us make disciples and reach this neighborhood with the gospel. And so maybe you need to join the church. Uh, maybe you're just a Sunday morning attender only and, and you're not in a life group. I'd encourage you to be in a life group. We have life groups Sundays, nine fifteen. And uh, they're there for you to really just do life with people, learn the Bible together and fellowship. And it's just a very profitable time. So maybe you need to join a life group. We would love for you to join one of our discipleship groups. And I understand discipleship can happen in multiple ways. One way that, that we do it is, is we meet here on Thursday nights. Uh, Leslie meets with a group of ladies. She has about five or six in her group. They meet on Thursday nights and they journal. They read the Bible, they journal, and, and they talk about it and hold each other accountable on Thursday nights. And it's just a great time for them. And I do the same thing with a group of guys on Thursday nights. And so we'd, we'd love for you to come and be a part of our discipleship group. Uh, maybe you're, you've been here for a while and you don't have a ministry. You know, one of our slogans, I guess, if you will, around here is every member a minister. And uh, we have opportunities for you to serve. And we'd love for you to to, uh, to get involved in a ministry. So uh, let's, let's pray, and, um, and uh, we'll be dismissed. We'll be up here uh, up front if you need anything. We want to help you, okay? We love you, and, and we just want to pray with you. All right, so let's pray together. Lord, we 